Welcome to Packet Pushes Heavy Networking. In today's sponsored show, we are discussing why you want a private 5G. And if you bite off on that idea, what does it look like if you want one? Now, for many network professionals, the migration to use public WAN, aka the internet, instead of private networks is well underway. And so to, to sort of a strange idea would be to start saying, well, why am I not using public 5G? Why am I going to be implementing private 5G? And there's some tension there between those two topics. So in discussion with Intel, and we're talking to Bupesh Agrawal, who is going to be making the case that there is a use for private 5G inside of enterprises for a number of use cases. And like everything in networking, it depends. So welcome to the show, Bipesh. Let's just get straight into the game here. Why would an enterprise care about 5G? And I particularly want to start with an angle where most of our people would say, I've got a private wireless network. I can deploy Wi-Fi. I know what that looks like. It's Ethernet. If I'm a networking person, I've probably done some of it over the last 25 years. But now I'm sort of considering private 5G, which is a different form of wireless network in, in, in a lot of ways. But why would I go with 5G? Let's get down to it. Thanks, Greg, for inviting me to this show. It's it's really a pleasure to be here. There are three things. Like uh, when we look at from the enterprise standpoint, it, it all starts with three Cs, coverage, capacity, and control. And let me break it down into these things, right? Coverage, when you look at, you talk about the Wi-Fi, Right. When you look at Wi-Fi, you have some challenges with respect to the building, with respect to the trees or the glasses and all. So we know that there are lots of dead spots in the Wi-Fi coverage. Yeah. Private 5G solves that problem. The second one is the capacity. You have a limited capacity in the Wi-Fi as we are talking about uh, like the industrial automation and all. You're talking about so many devices getting connected to these networks. The other thing that you can see like in the verticals like agriculture and all, the moment you start changing from the devices, the sensors and all, and start thinking about these plants and trees as the data sources, then you're talking about the humongous data uh, that you're gonna get from them. So there are right. so many sensors and data points that, that will get connected to these uh, networks. That's where you need additional capacity. Private 5G brings that additional capacity. And the third one is the control, the control of data and control over the security. Right. Clearly, we know that between Wi-Fi and um, cellular network, cellular network provides better security. And then with the help of the edge compute, now you're controlling the data that is sitting on the premise, which you can analyze and then push the data that you only need it like in, in, like in terms of like a cold storage or the warm storage, you can push that data in the cloud. That means now you are reducing the cost of transporting the data uh, to the cloud. So those three things, coverage, capacity, and control uh, is the reason why enterprise should care about private 5G. All right, let's dig into those. The coverage one is really interesting to me because one of the challenges with Wi-Fi, very weak signal, 100 milliwatts in a very restricted band, right? There's only a certain amount of capacity around 2.45 gig and a certain amount around six gigahertz these days in some countries, all of those spectrums have very low penetration capability. Now that is both a feature and a bug. It's a feature if you're trying to restrict where the Wi, how far the signal goes. And that is a feature in terms of uh, Wi-Fi is an assumed connectivity. So there's no, there's a very poor lack of control and you sort of have to sort of post fit it. Ethernet is not a protocol. Ultimately Wi-Fi is about Ethernet, right? 
So you can't control who connects to Wi-Fi. Um, and so in some senses, you want to restrict where the Wi-Fi signal could go. So this coverage is when you're using 5G, you're saying you're going to get access to spectrum which can penetrate walls, which can go for miles and miles. That's the idea? That is correct, right? Like when you look at the Wi-Fi versus uh, private 5G, right? You're talking about uh, if even if for, say, like a 10,000 square foot area, right, you need like a five or six uh, Wi-Fi points, access points, whereas with the private wireless, you can have it with a one radio, right? right. And then like you, you touch upon the capacity side, if even if we just talk about uh, what is happening in US with the CBRS spectrum, you are getting 150 megahertz of a spectrum. Yeah. Just to put it in the right context, the big service providers in US, they have around 200 uh, megahertz of spectrum and that covers the whole US. So as an enterprise entity, you are getting a much bigger capacity to meet your requirements with a private 5G. That's the beauty of private networks. Now, the flip side here too is, of course, handsets can radiate power at a much higher signal strength. So Wi-Fi is capped at 100 milliwatts, if I remember rightly, whereas a, a phone handset or a 5G handset can ramp up as to much as 3 watts, I think. Is that correct? That is correct, right? And But but we are talking about like uh, the private 5G story is beyond handsets also, right? Yeah. Because we are talking in the industrial environment, we are talking about all the sensors. I talk about the agriculture, right? You're talking about the sensors that are there in the field, right? Similarly, in the retails, in the retail environment, you have the cameras, right? Like uh, to give you an example, right? Uh, there are leading retailers within US, uh, like who have a global presence, they are putting private 5G and they are using edge compute to solve the problem of the theft that they have, right? So it's it's an ecosystem that is building beyond the cell phones for the for these private use cases that, that are going to okay. target okay. these verticals. So then what you're saying is if I'm, let's say I've got a chain of large department stores, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 square feet or larger, I'm going to put up a whole bunch of devices in there. And as you say, cameras being an obvious use case for theft, monitoring, you know, how much theft, where is the theft occurring so you can allocate resources. So what you're saying is if I was to put up a private 5G base station in every department store or every one of those locations, um, I could then have a universal coverage of all of them from a single place. How, how would I do the backhaul from those base stations then? Would that just be over the normal network? Would that be some sort of SD-WAN, some sort of? That is correct, right? So it will be through SD-WAN. Uh, it also depends on the use cases. For example, if you have already the uh, infrastructure, the backhaul infrastructure, like in the cases of industrial environment or the retail scenario, you can use that. In some cases, like the remote mining scenario, you don't have that existing infrastructure. That's where you use the satellite backhaul. Yeah, because putting, well, you talked about factories and mining. Mining has a problem with distance and getting Wi-Fi over you know, a mine complex, which can be five miles side to side, and you want to use it for safety. So you want to do fall detection if somebody's fallen over. And what you want is to put a sensor on that person so that they're immobile for more than 30 seconds, 60 seconds, um, and they're in a certain orientation. You want to call an alert because that person might be working alone. And in certain sites, mining sites I've worked in, you have to have two people to do the work of one person for safety. Right. So if that person has an accident, gets hit, has, you know, something personal happens, 
um, it, it would be much easier to have fall detection so that you could know. Now, getting a reliable coverage of miles and square miles and square miles of space or square kilometres and square kilometres of space, not something wireless Wi-Fi, traditional Wi-Fi can do. Absolutely. That's the thing, right? Like, so if you have the private uh, private 5G, right, it can cover the front-end side very well. You can have the satellite backhaul. So even like we are seeing the use cases, you talk about the remote mining. Hmm. We are seeing even the remote production by the production houses where when somebody is shooting in jungle or like the other remote areas, the executives sitting in the headquarters can really watch what's happening, right? So there are really like uh, these creative use cases that are emerging, right? Uh, Private 5G started with the industrial, but we are seeing all sorts of uh, uh, new use cases emerging in the area. So to get that coverage, I need wireless spectrum. And up until now, getting licensed to use a wireless spectrum has been uh, painful, shall we say, right? It is not Mm -hmm. easy to, to, for a a company to hire, to go and just say, I want a 5G and I just want to put it up, right? It, normally you have to go and talk to some registered wireless installer who's got some mystical process and has permissions and certified personnel to go off and register to apply for Spectrum. And every year they have to go and re-license this Spectrum and test it and all this sort of palaver, all for something fairly basic, right? And and am I up for the same problems in 5G? Not really. And that's the beauty of 5G right here, especially in the context of private 5G, because like what you touch upon is a very good point as as we look at traditionally, right? One of the main challenge for the enterprises was that they did not have any access to the spectrum, right? Like all the spectrum was managed by FCC given to the service, big service providers. So it was really, really very costly, right? To deploy a cellular infrastructure in the premise. Now with the private 5G, whether we are looking at in US with the help of the CBRS spectrum, where we have FCC has mandate five SaaS providers uh, Comscope, Sony, MDocs, uh, Google, and Federated Wireless. They are the ones. So anybody can go to them and get the get the spectrum for right. the. So CBRS is CB Radio. You know, ten forward yes. body. You know, the trucker thing, right? <laughs> and that spectrum is being reallocated to digital purposes, away from analog purposes for radios. Or and each country is handling that differently. So. If you're hearing this and going, woo free spectrum, the answer is not so fast, but, you know, the world will catch up eventually. But that's the purpose here is to open your eyes to this to this topic. Is there more open spectrum than just CBRS? Are other geographies doing it differently? That is correct, right? In Germany, it's a 3.7 to 3.8 gigahertz. In China, it's, uh, I believe it's a, a 2.3 to 2.4. And it's a different model that all the all these countries are adopting. For example, I mentioned about US. So US, you have to go through these SaaS providers to get the spectrum. In Germany, you have to go through the regulators. In China, you have to go through the service providers right. to deploy these ones. So every, every country has a different model. What we, based on our experience, what we are realizing is that the model that US has adopted is far more advanced than the other countries because it allows anyone to approach in a, and, and they can deploy it in a very timely manner. 
Uh, well, you know, every country's got a different approach to telecommunications regulation and spectrum regulation. That is correct, yes. And the US has, has recently decided to go very hands-off and just uh, let the market decide, right? And whether that stays that way or not in the future remains to be seen, but the cat is out of the bag, so probably it's unlikely to change. So, and I think the other thing to note here is that in previous generations of wireless, antenna was very much... The antenna architectures that were available to us were very fixed. So for a given spectrum, your antenna was this, right? And if you were going to transmit a signal in this spectrum for 3G, it was fixed. It was this. And so if you were going to have different spectrums, then you would have to have different antennas. But that's not the way it's done anymore. We might, hopefully we'll touch this more down the stack, but the advent of software-defined radios in a modern 5G stack where you just use software to process the signal and you have these tunable antennas, means that the physical hardware that you build is much more universal, not totally universal, don't let me, don't read me wrong, but it's tunable and modifiable without necessarily having to go up and replace the antenna on the roof. That is correct, right? We call it a multi-vendor, multi-band approach, right? Mm. So there are um, radio vendors who have the radios, right, where you can go to like uh, different countries and those their radios support those uh, different spectrum in those countries. So so these solutions are scalable also. Like if you are putting something in the US, and if you have these uh, solutions which support multi-vendor, multi-band, uh, then you can deploy it in other countries. So you can countries deploy the also. same solution everywhere in the world, including the same antenna hardware, subject that to certain caveats. You know, extreme caveats of conditions and so forth. So that's that's something that's different, right? So, um, and are those antennas, are those antenna designs often directional, or are they just always omnidirectional? Can I, like, if I'm doing five G, do and I just want to focus a signal, maybe I can only put my five G tower in the corner of the plot. Like, if I'm on a farm and my farmhouse is in, you know, the corner, and I want, but I want to get coverage, can I make the signal directional? These are directional antennas, right? Like, and then it depends on the coverage. It depends on what area you want to cover so you can have the multiple antennas. The good thing also about is the cost, the overall cost of the antennas and all these are uh, very lower in cost compared to the antennas that you see in public networks. So the overall cost, I won't say that it's the same as Wi-Fi, but the overall cost of deployment of private 5G is much lower than what people have anticipated or people have seen in public networks. So the second topic that you talked about here, coverage, capacity, and control. So let's move to capacity. You're making the claim that compared to Wi-Fi, you can get a lot more capacity. Now, in this case, I think not only capacity, but diversity. So one of the things that I wanted to touch on here is uh, you don't see a lot of low-powered Wi-Fi. Creating low-powered Wi-Fi is really Bluetooth, and we all know how Bluetooth works. Um, yeah. Okay, but it's sort of like for about five meters range, right? What I want to be able to do is to have like button-sized sensors that sit in place for 10 years and can work on a button battery for a period of time. And there are communication standards like NBIoT and LoRa that are available for that. Are we talking about private 5G having the capacity to do those types of things, or is that something that's future yet? 
I think all these things, uh, uh, Greg, will coexist, right? Even like what we are seeing is Wi-Fi will continue to coexist with private 5G. It won't completely, uh, the private 5G won't completely replace Wi-Fi. And the reason why I'm saying is, as you you break the uh, workloads of any enterprise, you can divide those workloads into two categories. One is IT, another one is OT. Right? Think about a stadium. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you are an if you are a venue owner like a stadium owner and all, you want to provide the coverage to your fans and all visitors right through Wi-Fi. Whereas, so that that becomes an OT use case. Whereas for the uh, the infrastructure critical workloads, you want to have something where you need a better reliability, you need a better security and all. You want to have private 5G so that you get a much robust uh, infrastructure for connecting your own IT application. So similarly, right, like you talk about those uh, LoRa or the other NB-IoT and all those things, we believe that those will continue to exist because in some cases, you also touch upon Bluetooth, right? In Mm -hmm. some cases, these devices talk to each other right through these protocols right so so that's also a difference but but we see these coexistence that's going to happen in the industry and the other part here is about capacity you're talking about greater density i i think the other thing we can probably talk about here while you're talking about density is the fact that you can go and get off the shelf handsets for 5g now this is not something we could get 5 years ago 10 years ago so one of the criticisms i've leveled at private 5g is that we had private 3G and private 4G that went nowhere. But I think there's a transition here and convince me otherwise um, that I could now just go and buy my favorite iPhone or Apple iPad or Android tablet, put a SIM in that is linked to my 5G and that's my connectivity. Is that right? That is correct, right? So like your cell phone, especially the iPhones or Samsung Galaxies and all, they all support uh, private networks, right? The CBRS band, what we call in the US, right? Mm-hmm. So when you look at those phones, it says like supports band, band 48. That band 48 is the CBRS band in the US, right? So you can have your iPhone and you can connect it to a, to your private network if you want to do that. Your, your point is absolutely valid about the ecosystem that is building around the private 5G devices. Uh, the CBRS in US maintains a website. So any if you want to check, anybody wants to check like what devices are supported on CBRS, uh, the person can go to the website, check whether those uh, devices that they are targeting are supported by CBRS. So, so it's really, but but what, what we have seen is in last two years, there is a huge growth in terms of the devices supporting um, the private LTE or private 5G. Right. And that, that growth will continue. And I think in, in soon to come, we'll start to see laptops coming with 5G connectivity as well. I, I don't know when, but it feels inevitable at some point. No doubt you have inside information you may not be able to mention. <laughs> so laptops are interesting ones because laptops are kind of like sitting on a, um, um, on a fence right now. It's a catch-22 situation. I think the OEM partners are looking to see how the private 5G ecosystem is growing right. so that right. they can put a support for the bands, right? Not only for the U.S., but even for the other countries, the bands that they have Yeah, the support. US market is not big enough for laptop vendors to start including a 5G chipset and a SIM slot and all that. Exactly. 
All right. So there's there's a chicken in the egg there. If 5G can go, then the laptops might follow. Or if enough people start asking them, maybe there's a capacity. Now, the other side I think about capacity is also density. We've talked about mm-hmm. capacity in terms of distance. That is, you can get the coverage out so much further. We get coverage of wide, but capacity, you're also talking about high density of devices. So one of the challenges in offices, for example, is that you have a lot of people in a very small space. Can private 5G cope with that better than Wi-Fi? That is correct, right? Because of the, I mentioned about the the the, the capacity that you are going to get out of it, right? right. Like, uh, right. It's uh, in Germany, it's 100 megahertz. In US, you can have like, a, you can take full advantage of 150 megahertz. 150 megahertz, as I said, mm-hmm. it's the, the top this service isn't providers. Like 80, 80 kilohertz bands, a couple of, you know, no, this is, no. yeah, this is 100 times more, no, not 100 times, but like a lot more capacity in spectrum. It is huge. It is huge, right? Like you're talking about like, uh, because the way it has been set up is the from FCC, you're getting like a, for a particular reason, like it's like 150 megahertz available. If the Department of Defense is not using it, then it goes to the priority access license holders who, who, who did the bidding last year. But think about it. If you are a theme park owner, you control the whole area, right? That's that's kind of like spread in all like a multi- acres, right? Yeah, Hundreds yeah, and yeah. thousands of acres. So you control that area. You know that there is no one who is going to have the priority access license in that one because you control the area. So you are getting 150 megahertz. That's huge. So yeah. So if you can put up a tower where no one else, like a farm, you get the whole 150 megahertz, which is gigabytes of potential throughput, right? Exactly. Like, exactly. And it's yours, right? And if you're in it's a stadium, yours. you can put up a 5G instead of putting up a, you know, a squintillion Wi-Fi access points all over the place and trying to get the, the handsets working. It's it's very much a different kind of scenario for them. And yeah. I guess the flip side here is that you can also get very high density when we know that because everybody's walking around with a handset these days um, and 5G actually increases the capacity. So when you talk about capacity, you're not only talking about handsets, like the number of edge points in a given physical space, but you're also talking about the spectral density, how much bandwidth you can transfer over the spectrum because there's so much more spectrum available for a 5G connection. That is correct, right? right. And you brought up a good point that uh, like the only thing is like when you look at the coverage side and the capacity, right, there is a fine balance because like uh, between Wi-Fi and private 5G, even if like the... Uh, and you touch upon it like in the beginning, right? The cost side. So the when you look at the cost, the uh, the cost of setting up the network infrastructure in the private 5G is less than the Wi-Fi because you need less number of access points. But the cost of managing the private 5G is higher than Wi-Fi. And the reason is very simple because the enterprises are learning about private 5G and all, right? So whereas in 5G, in Wi-Fi, uh, the IT department is very well, like they, they understand how it works and all. But whereas on the private 5G, you have to rely, at least in the beginning, you have to rely on the managed service provider. So there are like, kind of like it's a balance, right, between the cost and the, uh, the value that you are going to get out of private 5G. Okay. Now I've seen, I've read a number of other, other articles about private 5G suggesting that Having control of the network improves your services. So you can apply costs and control and blah, blah, blah. I actually think all of that's rubbish because what we know from the last 20 years of physical networking 
Is it quality of service is a waste of time? You know, actually being in control of the physical network is not a win because we encrypt everything over the top one way or the other. It's what goes over the top that matters. So we use HTTPS, we use SIP. It doesn't actually matter what happens underneath the network. And as you're saying, potentially there's so much capacity that I think there's it, that the physical angle is less important or do you disagree? No, I, I do agree with your point that um, like uh, what you are saying. So I think there is no doubt about that. That uh, like, uh, and you also have to realize, uh, Greg, that uh, in some cases it also bring like a mobility aspect, right? Like mm-hmm. in the past, right? If you have like a robotics in an industrial environment, which you cannot move around if you have a wired infrastructure, whereas with a private 5G, you can move around the premise without dropping anything, right? With full reliability and the security. One data point I also want to give, we have done lots of surveys with the industrial customers. And what we have found out that that it takes somewhere between $100 to $200 mm-hmm. on a per foot basis to put the wired infrastructure. Yeah. And that's huge. So like if your factory is spread across acres, that's a huge investment that you're going to do. And like 100 acres is for the big customer, they have the more purchasing power versus 200, right? But, but that's where like you have the wired infrastructure, which has a limitation in terms of the mobility, high cost and all. You have the Wi-Fi where you have challenges around the data spots and the coverage and all capacity. And then this now with because the regulators are opening up and and, and incentivizing these ecosystem players, like you have this new thing called private 5G that yeah, solves yeah. your problem. So if you're if you're looking at Wi-Fi, what you're flagging there, if I just read this back to you, is it you're looking at somewhere between fifty to two hundred dollars per foot for a cable run depending on your environment, right? Obviously, uh, the more cabling you install, the cheaper per foot, depending on how far you're running. But if you're covering a site that's acres in size, you know, then running cable out to Wi-Fi isn't going to be practical. But this, again, feels like, like there's a part of me that wants to say like, okay, that's fine for a factory or for a farm because Wi-Fi was never going to work for them, but this will are we actually going to see private 5G come into, say, an office block in the city? Am I going to be able to say, okay, instead of putting up Wi-Fi, I'll probably still put up Wi-Fi because there's a whole bunch of devices that need Wi-Fi, but maybe all my people's handsets won't connect to Wi-Fi. So smartphones, tablets might just connect straight to 5G. Can I roam off a private 5G onto a public 5G? Yes. So let me give you an example about uh, the build smart buildings or the worker environment that you're talking about, um, right, in the city and all. There are, at, at a very high level, there are three type of use cases that we are seeing in private 5G. One is something like we already talk about the industrial or the retail environment where you have like these sensors and everything connected to the, or the network, you have the edge compute to, um, analyze your data and then push the data into the cloud for the warm and the cold storage, depending upon what you need. Mm. The second use case is about the fixed wireless access. And think about it like in the rural areas where, or the schools and all, where we have the last mile connectivity issue. Imagine like in a rural area, you have one house here, 
one house probably like a half a mile or one mile so putting a fiber um right it's very um, costly yeah so yeah. that's a fixed wireless access where the tier two service providers are using private 5g to provide the mobility broadband to these houses the third use case which you touch upon is the smart building use uh, smart building case right. we are seeing there are two type of users in the smart building one is the sensors and all everything because the, if it's a smart building it has lots of sensors so whether it's a temperature sensor it's a humidity and all those all those well, need some kind of uh, networking to get connected buildings don't have too many sensors today they might have sensors tomorrow so this is this is one of the, I'm going to argue with you a little. I'm going to push back a little because yes, we might be better off if we could flood a building with sensors and smart door locks and pressure sensors in the stairs if people are walking up and down and you know lights that go on and off if people are in the building and can monitor them. But there's a there's a part of me that goes like that's been possible for 40 years and very very few people have ever deployed it. Like how many offices do you go into even today? that actually have motion sensor lighting, right? Much less intelligent yeah. lighting, right? I'm like, okay. Right? <laughs> it's one of these things where talking heads come up and go, oh, we'll have intelligent buildings. And I'm like, uh, hasn't happened yet. Why would it happen now? Yeah. So let me finish my thoughts okay. on that one and then we'll come back to you, right? right. So so the in the smart building, there is once the sensor aspect is there. The second aspect is about the humans, whether these are the residents, like in the like apartment building within the city, right, or the workers, right, who are part of those, like uh, who are working in the buildings and all. What we are seeing in the smart uh, in the private five G context, if there is a private five G infrastructure player who is putting a private five G within that building. The biggest challenge happens is from the those user standpoint, not from the devices standpoint, because devices are easy to connect those sensors and all to the network. Right. But as you said, right, like if I am a worker or if I am a resident in that building, I want to have a seamless connectivity when I'm going in and coming out of the building. Right. Yeah. So I want to make sure that when I'm going in, right, if I'm on a call on my public network, and as I as I'm entering into the building, I should be seamlessly getting connected to the private network within the building. Right. Same thing, the uh, the opposite case, like if I'm on a call and if I'm coming out of the building, I should seamlessly connect to the public network. The challenge happens is in that case, the, the private 5G infrastructure player for the building has to work with the service provider so that they can share the packet core uh, in the background, right? Yeah, because and there then, also then has to be a, the, the 5G base station has to do the handoff. Like, exactly. And like it, as you move around, the stations have to integrate and say, I'm coming in your direction. Can you fit my handset onto it? And then there has to be signaling backwards and forwards to say, well, which one? Because you might be in a building and there might be six other 5G handoffs. You know, which tower are you going to jump to? And they're all going to bid, you know, that. That signaling process actually happens in a control plane above. It's not exactly. like the handset disconnects from one and connects to the other and the and the tower suddenly goes, oh, huh, you're connecting to me. That's not how it works at all. It's all very, yeah. 
So, so yes, that's exactly what is happening. The control plane aspect of the service provider, they are not willing to share with those local private 5G infrastructure players yet. Yeah. The reason is because they do not have any business incentive to share it. Like think about it in, in a smart building. Let's say there are a total of 1,000 users or the workers or residents. You divide it by three for three uh, service providers. So you're saying per service provider, you have 300 users, right? Or the customers. Now for 300 customers, these big service providers are not gonna share their control plane with that infrastructure player. So while there are lots of white papers, you can see on web, but the actual implementation has not been, we are not seeing those implementation happening. There are some success where the exist, existing players who already have the business relationship with the service providers, they are the ones who are making inroads into that use case because they don't have to worry about getting it to a new contract yeah. with the service provider. Yeah. And so that's going to be a work in progress, shall we say. One of the other things I, I remember talking to a uh, engineer from a mobile company and he was saying, remember when small cells first arrived about 10 years ago and they did a trial where they put up small cells uh, in a hundred sites and the big day came when they turned them all on and they were all very excited that this was going to solve coverage in a particular high density market that they had a problem with and they turned them all on and it promptly blew up their ops system because the operational system that sat at the top was used to having like about 800 cell towers and then all of a sudden there was a hundred micro cell and it didn't discriminate between the two. It actually right. blew the operational platform that was doing the cell tower management open, like it fell down. And that was the last time they ever got into small cells. Presumably they fixed that type of stuff or is that, you know, they're, they're going to be frightened of that because small cells did not work out the way we thought it would. And, and, and this is exactly what is happening in the private 5G industry as people are realizing, or I would say ecosystem vendors are realizing that, one size fits all approach does not work here mm. because if you are taking the whole right, the user plane the control plane and the, of of the public network and try to put it in the private 5G environment you are probably like uh, overburdening the network right you right. don't need all these things right because you can you control like as an infrastructure provider of five private 5G you control what's going in there so there is a there is a lot of work that is happening and that's why the new ecosystem players are emerging. So when you look at from the traditional uh, telecommunication equipment manufacturers, like the big ones like Nokia, Ericsson, Samsung and all, now you see there are so many other players who are emerging in this area of private 5G. Okay, I think we've laid out the case for and against why an enterprise would care about private 5G. Assuming that you've convinced me that this is a good idea. <laughs> Let's assume that I'm going to go and get a private 5G. What does it look like, right? Is it now if I'm doing a, a an outdoors installation in a factory or a farm, I can imagine I've got a tower that's going to be, you know, a 20 meter tower and I'm going to have a little hut that's going to need power because I'm going to need quite a big system to do that. Or am I talking no. about something that's quite modest in size and capacity? Greg, you can put private network in your home also. Right. So it's not small, right? right? So 
right? And and like uh, the the beauty is right because it gives a pretty good coverage, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. You don't need this like a big base station that you see around us on the highways and all, right? It's a very small tower that you do. It depends on like the coverage, like right. um, and like uh, yeah, how high you want to do it. You can also replicate that thing. So there are multiple uh, ways you can do it. So rather than going with one tall tower, you can have a multiple um, like uh, radios and all. But then that's a radio part. Right. Then de- depending upon what you want to do with the uh, on the for the data, if you want to have a locally processed data on the edge, you can put a small server and that can go from a small device to the big device, depending upon the amount of data what the application that you want to run. And then uh, you have the backhaul connectivity going to the cloud and all. So it's very simple. What we are seeing is like uh, there are new communities that are being built these days where the, 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 the construction companies, they are providing, the, they are using private 5G to provide the broadband in that in those communities versus having the wired ones yes i know uh martin casado has been a project where he's helping uh native communities around uh the las vegas area put up 5g to get internet connectivity private 5g because they have a uh a right under american law to administer the spectrum inside of their uh reservations i think they're called anyway inside of the land that they have authority to cover and there are situations where they may be able to do that um, and that is effectively a mobile broadband solution. Um, and I think, but if I go back to what I was saying, so what you're saying is it doesn't have to look like what I see on the street. That's a heavy duty commercial grade deployment with a heart and a tower and power and all that sort of stuff. You're saying that their private 5G might be um, a suitcase sized deployment with a, like a Wi-Fi looking antenna mounted somewhere. <laughs> Exactly right. I'm I'm uh, to put it in a better way. If uh, you're talking about the one big truck or trailer that you talk about, yeah. another one is the Tesla car, right? So it's it's pretty sleek solution. Okay, so it is possible for me to actually. Do, now, what about administering it? Am I going to be able to operate this? Like, would a normal network engineer be able to operate this, or do I need to contract somebody? Do I it's need a to find a, you know? Yeah, it's a, it's a learning curve. What we have, what we are realizing is that enterprise, because they did not have traditionally, they did not have exposure to the cellular technologies. They are more relying on the managed service providers, mm-hmm. or even like um, the some of the cloud service providers are also entering into the space where the enterprises are feeling much more comfortable going with a cloud service provider because they know that uh, their data is already managed by these uh, cloud service providers. So So you're talking about a 5G management plane that's actually cloud hosted. That is correct. Right. And there's an app up there that goes private 5G that you can click and buy. Is that what you're saying? Uh, So uh, it it provides these uh, cloud service providers or the managed service providers, they bring the whole solution. They will bring the radios, they will bring the edge compute, they will also bring the packet core, right? You talk about the control plane and the user plane, that's part of the packet core. Uh, They will also bring some of the functionalities, the virtual network functions that you talk about, the SD-WAN firewalls. And the good thing is uh, these managed service providers also bring these IoT applications because remember, 
private 5G is a means to solve your problem, but the problem starts with some that you have some IoT use case that you want to, uh, where you you are looking for some better uh, coverage or better connectivity, right, compared to the uh, your wired infrastructure or the Wi-Fi infrastructure. Now that sounds confusing, and one of the things that you talked about to me when we were doing the prep for the show was the problem of many. And mm-hmm. the problem that I have with this 5G that you've laid out now is I've got private 5G, I've got public 5G, I've got a managed service provider, I've got a cloud provider. Um, to me, buying this sounds messy. If I wanted to buy one of these, I can't just go to my traditional branded vendor, you know, and say, I want a 5G, please very much hand it over. It's it's really a, a specialist solution. I have to find a specialist supplier who's going to manage this for me at this point in time, at least anyway. So let me explain the problem of many that okay. um, I talk about. Uh, when you look at the public, uh, traditional public network, right? We are talking about those key players in the market, like the Nokia's, Ericsson, Samsung's, and some others, right? That uh, right. So there are uh, limited. Uh, I would say the um, organ- limited ecosystem players who are controlling this, or I would say driving this whole system, right? What is happening is in the private network, not only you have these traditional teleco- uh, telecommunication equipment manufacturers, you also have the service providers who are also playing a direct role in putting the private 5G. So you can go to your service providers if you already have a business contract to do that. You also have cloud service providers coming into this area because they see that they they, they have a lot of applications they already have the edge solution. They already have the cloud solutions. And also for them also, that's extending those things into for the telecommunication space. Right. Then you have the new players that are coming up in the market, like uh, uh, who are building the solutions and they are building a very vertical solution, end-to-end solutions and all. So there are lots of players that are coming up in the market, the new players compared to the tra- okay. what we have okay. seen in the tradition. And so, that creates a little bit of inter, uh, interoper- interoperability issue, right? Yeah, like yeah, which yeah. one to choose, like, like you talk about. And that's confusing. So if I'm a customer and I need to buy, there's a diversity, there's a lack of interoperability. Uh, if I buy, I'm going, I mean, obviously, as you go through your due diligence, this is all going to come up with people. So I guess maybe the advice that I would give to people is if you need this, you need this and you want to go, but it's not a Wi-Fi. It's not like go and buy a box, screw it to the wall and run a patch lead into it. It's, it's a much more substantial decision. It's a substantial decision because yeah. any yeah. changes that we are going to make in the existing network infrastructure in any organization, um, definitely it 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 takes a learning curve, right? Yeah. However, like uh, as far as choosing the uh, ecosystem vendor or who is going to deploy the solution, the good news is that we have like all these traditional players and the new players. They, you can approach to any of them and they can put an end-to-end solution in your premise. For example, I talk about the Nokia's Ericsson, both Nokia's and Eric, Nokia provides uh, the end-to-end solution so they can come and deploy it. 
cloud service providers like Microsoft and AWS are leading this, but they can deploy it. Uh, there are other players uh, like the new players, as I talk about, right, who are working on the, their radio solution, their edge solution, they can deploy it. And even these uh, existing service providers, you can approach them and they can deploy it. So depending upon your business relationship with these players and who do you prefer, you can approach them, but it's very easy uh, for them because they are the ones then who are going to work with the SaaS providers in the case of US or the regulators in Germany and others to get the spectrum, to get all the uh, devices and all, to get all the compute um, servers and all, everything. So we are seeing it's a, the deployment is fairly seamless. Uh, and then you need a managed service provider who can provide the many services, but those those come when you put the whole proposal with these players. And one last thing that I want to touch on, there's a couple of things that Intel specifically is doing here. You've made the case fairly eloquently, and I think people, people who know that this is going to work for them will be thinking about it. Intel's also making substantial contributions to open source here as part of driving the market forward. Now, the, part of this is towards um, seeing people... Um, get involved in open source projects to define APIs. So you've got, uh, and maybe you want to talk about the two things that uh, I wanted to draw out was Intel's FlexRAN, which is your mm -hmm. reference implementation. And the other one is the openness, which is much more to me about APIs, but maybe I'm wrong. From the Intel standpoint, right, our number one priority is to build an ecosystem, to enable the ecosystem, right? Because we believe that everything that is happening, whether it's in the cloud space, 5G space, private networks, like in the context of edge compute and all, the pie is big enough for everyone to share, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like one entity who will win, but it's like if the if this market grows, everyone will win. That's why we are very focused on open source ecosystem. Uh, when you look at like uh, our involvement with the flex core, which is the user plane control plane side of the network, um, our involvement with the open as we, we renamed it as a smart edge open now. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a uh, edge compute uh, Mac software, the multi-axis edge computing infrastructure part. Uh, you talk about FlexRAN, right? FlexRAN is becoming a basis of the virtualized RAN or the ORAN side, right? So we work with lots of ecosystem partners. The good thing is some of the ecosystem partners that I talk about, whether it's Nokia, Ericsson, service providers like the Verizon, AT&T, Vodafone, like across the world, or even the cloud service provider, we work with almost all of them, right, yeah. to make yeah. sure that we yeah. have a robust system. So the key thing to think about here, and we've mentioned this a few times on Network Break, particularly on the Network Break channel, is that 5G is very different, is a breakaway from way infrastructure worked in 3G and 4G. In 3G and 4G, uh, companies like Nokia and Ericsson and Huawei and Samsung would custom make these boxes with mystical CPUs and custom operating systems and weird hardware of all sorts and sizes and shapes and you bought that and you put it in and then when it came to sparing the parts you had to keep one of each type and the operating each operating system had its own quirks because it was developed by a different part of the company the the big transition in 5g is the fact that we're just using x86 cpus standard server architectures heavily into VMs and containers in the base station so that the software is much more modern and flexible and maintainable. And if something breaks, the hardware is not this 
you know, limited supply, arcane, hard to get, you know, overpriced type stuff. It's just stuff that it's conventional stuff, not commodity necessarily, but close to, you know. That is correct, right? So it was a in the in the traditional, as you said, like a three G, four G. It was a problem of a few, and uh, as we are moving into the five G space with some of the things that you talk about, the commercial of the shelf, right? Uh, hardware, the software defined infrastructure, the other things, the virtualization and all. It's it's leading to a new innovation in the space of five G. Yeah, and. Yeah. And, and to some extent, right, I think uh, we will see how the industry is going to move, but uh, you will see lots of new ecosystem players, which is all good because when you have more choices, it, it lowers down the cost also, right, on the, on, right. On, the, on the on the infrastructure side. Yeah, well, that's the flip side is it should simplify the infrastructures for these base stations from, like I worked on 3G, 4G equipment, and it was not my idea of a good day. I did it for a few months and decided that this was a, a deeply unpleasant, unhappy experience. And it was a bit like working on frame relay gear 20 years ago. I thought, oh, this is going to be, oh, really? I'm basically programming registers at the CLI. Like it was horrible, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and so getting away from that to something more modern is, is definitely good for everybody. Like the the the, the 5G, you know, the mobile cos should be able to operate their networks like ordinary modern infrastructure instead of this arcane, you know, go in and wind up the rubber band every three months sort of stuff. Like a truck roll was a big deal. It shouldn't be that way going forward. Absolutely, Greg, right? Like, and we have seen this, right? And anytime the new technology or the new thing comes up in the industry in general, right? I remember like probably like uh, uh, 15 to 20 years ago when people used to talk about the cloud, right? Uh, there used to be web articles where they used to show the Mickey Mouse hat, yeah. right, as yeah. part of the cloud. And then everyone used to talk about security and all. Think what what happened during COVID, right? Everyone is moving towards cloud, right? Now that that portion of the security, the, the concern has go, is going away. They're Similarly moving towards in the, infrastructure that's flexible. Now, yeah. whether that's on-prem cloud or off-prem cloud, whether that's the AWS mainframe, or an Azure mainframe, or whether it's an on-prem infrastructure where you've got more choices about how you self-assemble your private cloud, it's it's. But you've got choices. Whereas, you know, up until five years ago, say your job was to basically buy a server, put a VMware on it, and run VMs, and that was your choice, right? And in a certain sense, it was simple. But now you've got other choices. I'm not sure if That's- the world's better off or worse off. Haven't haven't quite decided if more choice is just bad. Or, I think it's going in the right direction, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that you also touch upon in the beginning was like about the application space also, right? Like, so when you look at like, uh, when right now, everyone is hearing about the edge compute, right? Like, hey, I want to run these applications, whether in, the, again, going yeah. back to those yeah. industrial details and all. The, uh, the interesting thing is that people have visibility into what applications that they want to put in next three to six months but then they do not they do not have the visibility into how many applications that they are going to put two years or three years down the line on the same device. Yeah. That's where the aspect of the virtualization and the scalability that you talk about yeah. is really critical. A failure to plan is a plan for failure. And people who don't know what applications <laughs> are coming down the pipeline are probably, yeah. you yeah. know, yeah, in some senses, I think most people do know. 
but it can be very difficult to feel confident about a decision in this space. Yeah. And so then you get lazy and say, oh, I'll just put it in the cloud and there's plenty. And then you find out that you may, maybe the cost of moving things to the cloud is not what you thought it would be. And, you know, there's a whole other discussion around that, but flexibility is there that we never had before. And I think that is the main discussion. Well, Unfortunately, we are out of time. Thanks so much to Bupesh Agarwal for coming on the show. And thanks to Intel for sponsoring today's show to talk about private 5G, because this is actually a discussion that I've been wanting to have for a long period of time. I have been dubious that private 5G has its case and whether it's going to be a substantial or significant. And I think now it's up to you in the audience to make a decision about whether you want to engage with suppliers and start thinking about whether private 5G can be something that could suit your networks. Maybe so, maybe not. We're not here to make the decision for you. We're here to help you understand what's happening. As always, uh, you can find more about this if you just search up on intel.com and look for 5G, private 5G. There's a whole bunch of white papers and resources. There'll be more links in the show notes on the packetpushers.net website on the blog post that accompanies this podcast. And as always, you can find many more fine free technical podcasts on it, along with our website. And you can also follow us on social medias where we publish stuff often on at Packet Pushers and we're on LinkedIn, Facebook, and of course, Apple Podcasts. Please tell your friends about us if you've enjoyed today's show. Tell somebody we are here to help you and to give you information. And if you could help us by telling your friends and finding more people, then we'll still be here to do this in a few months time. And as always, remember that too much networking would never be enough.